Today's episode of the Film State Show is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service showcasing exceptional films from around the globe. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. back ladies and gentlemen to a brand new episode of the film stage show the movie review podcast for the filmstage.com as always i'm your host brian j rowan with me today we have bill graham <laughs> we also have michael snydell reporting for duty <laughs> <laughs> he's doing his part are you <laughs> and a special guest today to help us talk about paul verhoeven's starship troopers from 1997 it's Beatrice Loiza. Hello, hello. Hello. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Oh, sure. I, I should have probably done that. Um, yes. Uh, so I am a freelance writer, um, and you can find my work in a number of places, but mainly uh, at the AV Club. Uh, also, uh, places like Mubi and Reverse Shot. So a bunch of different places. Awesome. That is good synergy for us. <laughs> <laughs> um yes so today we'll be talking about starship troopers before we get into our classic review uh the usual stuff find us on twitter at film stage show facebook the film stage show email us podcast filmstage.com give us a comment or rating on itunes and of course become a patron of this year's show by going to patreon.com slash the film stage show where for as little as one to learn episode you help us to produce this podcast and also get access to our super cool slack channel and first crack at all of our movie raffles plus a sense of accomplishment that comes with helping us to do this insane endeavor that we all devote so much time to of course we are brought to you by movie the curated streaming Hooray! service i know <laughs> i should oh, just let you wow, talk I'm about it <laughs> um every day movie premieres a new film whether it's a timeless classic a cult favorite or an acclaimed masterpiece it's guaranteed to be either a movie you're dying to see or a movie you've never heard of before but will soon love. With Mubi, each and every film is hand-selected, so you'll never spend more time looking for something great to watch. Instead, you'll actually be watching something great. Again, uh, just with quarantine, there's a lot of time to be at home. And um, if you don't have an idea of what you want to watch and you go scrolling, you might accidentally end up watching almost the entire series of Just Shoot Me before you realize that you're not watching the acclaimed foreign film that you meant to which is definitely not a real thing that happened to me. <laughs> I How many the seasons of Just Shoot Me are there? There's like six of them. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> Look, we talked about California Split, and I was like, oh, that's Jack from Just Shoot Me. And um, I don't know what to tell you. It, <laughs> I saw oh, Just wow. Shoot Me. I didn't even know this existed, and it's funny because... I was just thinking about Joe Dirt like a few days ago randomly. Joe <laughs> <laughs> Dirt as one Can I ask yeah. why? Well, I forget like the exact reason, but I was just thinking about how sad it was when he discovers his space rock is um, just a piece of poop, essentially. <laughs> just like how like when I was younger, I actually thought that was like a tragic thing. I was like, oh my God, poor Joe Dirt. His life is a tragedy. <laughs> Man, kids can empathize with anyone. <laughs> um, yeah. In fact, 
So it was my it's my daughter's birthday today. Uh, she turned four, and uh, yesterday she got balloons along with all of her other presents, and she was playing with a balloon outside, and the balloon separated from the string and floated oh, no. away. And I don't think she's ever been more sad about anything in her life. Wow. <laughs> I am um, early trauma. I know. It was really hard to watch. Um, oh, no, because you're so powerless. It was stuck up in a tree too, and I was like, "There's, I can't do anything. It's there, but it's like thirty feet up, and I just can't get it." <laughs> That's like worse. <laughs> it is. Like, if it had just gone into the sky, me. I could have been like, "It's gonna go find like a home in the clouds or something." <laughs> but instead, it's like, "Nope, it's in that oak tree, and uh, maybe a wind will dislodge it, or maybe we're just gonna have to watch it until it slowly falls back to earth." <laughs> Anyway, um, speaking of California Split, there there was I just need to put this out because it's been rattling around in my brain. There's a point where George Siegel is talking to someone and he realizes that the only reason they ever started talking to him was because they thought he was Elliot Gould. And I was like, oh, my God, is that a California Split reference? And just shoot me. <laughs> but we're here to talk about movie, uh, the streaming service uh, that we were talking about before we got completely sidetracked. Um, they got some great new stuff. And uh, I wanted to highlight Hyenas by uh, uh, Jabril Diop Mbete, uh, who directed Tsuki Buki. Um, this is a feisty Tukibuki. assault on economic imperialism, is a loose adaptation of Friedrich Demat's play. Visit. Uh, relocated to Senegalese town, Hyenas is a comic cutting critique of globalization conveyed with playful, imaginative flourish. And uh, you can check that out. By getting a free 30-day subscription to Mubi. All you got to do is go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage. And that's that. Um, we are on a bit of a clock today, and so we will forgo any other nonsense up top. Uh, also, because I'm just super excited to talk about Starship Troopers. 1990. As you should be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When we decided for whatever reason to do this... I became just elated and I have been vibrating all week. I've watched it <laughs> twice in the last seven days. <laughs> it's awesome. Uh, this, of course, the 1997 sci-fi action film from director Paul Verhoeven and um, screenwriter Edward Neumeyer. This movie stars Casper Van Dien, uh, Denise Richards, Jake Busey, Dean Meyer, Neil Patrick Harris, amongst many many others and here is the trailer in every age there is a cause worth fighting for but in the future the greatest threat to our survival will not be man at all Now, the youth of tomorrow must travel across the stars to defend our world. We are a generation commanded by fate to defend humankind. Everyone fights, no one quits. We are going in with first wave. All right. That is the opening of the trailer for Starship Troopers, a movie uh, ostensibly about a group of soldiers in the future who are fighting against uh, an alien enemy. Full stop. This is a classic review. There will be no spoiler section. 
This movie is also, no. I don't know, 23 years old. There will be no spoiler section. You should have seen it by now. Come on. Give it, it is give currently it. for free on Netflix. So if you haven't seen it, uh, you got no excuse anymore. Uh, I can't say where it's 17 straight to video sequels are, but I'm sure you can find them as well. <laughs> I think one animated of them series even, too, I think. Yes. Yeah. Oh yes. I've definitely watched the animated series, but uh, I think one, one of the uh, straight to video prequels actually does star Casper Van Dien. I think two of them do. Oh, Oh, wow. I don't know. Sorry. I went. I Are you did talking like, about the animated one, though? Because there is. There's, there's an animated, animated one, and then there's a live action there's, one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot going on with the series. We're not going to have time to get into the Starship Troopers expanded universe. Oh, man. I've watched Roughnecks. <laughs> I've watched, like, all of Roughnecks. Ah. Uh. It was right, well, you and I are going to have to talk on offline about that. Uh, but for now, <laughs> let's talk about the original, the unimpeachable Starship Troopers. And we'll begin with our guest, Beatrice. What uh, What's your history with Starship Troopers? And what have you thought <laughs> on Starship Troopers? Because, like, I, I was talking to someone today, and they're like, Starship Troopers, oh, wow, I really like that movie. And I said, that is a weirdly formative and important movie to my entire life. So I'm yes. I'm curious, what's your, uh, what's your <laughs> okay. history with Starship Troopers? Definitely. Um, so, I mean, it was a movie that I watched a billion times as a kid because um, my stepdad was one of those people that always had something on the TV and was always watching this usually like a big dumb action movie. And, you know, me being a fledgling film nerd would just watch them with him. Um, And, you know, Starship Troopers used to be one of those movies that constantly came on like the cable. uh, I don't even know. Like, what do you call those? Like TBS, like USA, like those types of channels that would just Mm -hmm. show movies sometimes. Yes. And they would often repeat the same things. Um, And so I felt like I just constantly saw it when I was younger. And, you know, because of that, I had an affection for it. Um, You know, even as I became older and, you know, in theory, more intelligent. Um, But (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> since quarantine happened you know they netflix just put starship troopers um uh, on the platform and you know i kind of like separate my movies a bit in that like if it's a serious thing that i need to be paying full attention to then you know that's something that i'll sit with no distractions but then there's also movies i kind of just put on when i'm cooking um you know, working out or whatever. And I originally was just like, oh, whatever, like Starship Troopers. I've watched this a billion times. And like I put it on one of these days. And then I like slowly like sucked myself in and like I sucked my boyfriend in and I ended up watching it like four times like <laughs> since it came on the platform. And each time I was just like, man, this isn't just like just enjoyable, like crazy over the top action movie. There's actually you know, this layer of satire and just like thoughtful critique of, I guess, the military industrial complex, like all of these kind of fucked up things um, uh, inherent in, you know, American society and in American film, like action film as well, that are really interesting. Um, So I'm kind of obsessed with it now. (laughs) Good. As well, you should be. Absolutely. All right. What, are, what is your Verhoeven experience, um, uh, Beatrice? Um, I mean, at this point, I've definitely seen Starship Troopers the most of all of them. Um, but I've, <laughs> you know, I 
I've seen pretty much all of the main ones like, uh, you know, in preparation for this podcast, I just kind of rewatched Basic Instinct and and Showgirls, Good one. <laughs> uh, which I really like as well. Um, but I, I wouldn't say I'm, you know, I haven't written about Verhoeven yet, which is kind of like, you know, once you write about something, I feel like you can start calling yourself somewhat of an amateurish expert on it. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, so, I mean, I, I really enjoy his work and I really want to just explore it even further. Cool. All right. Bill Graham. All right. My turn. Uh, yeah, this movie fucking rocks. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think I think we were talking about it uh, recently and talking about how like some some films sh- really struggle with this duality, right, where they're trying to be a satire, but they also uh, have to be a horror film or they have to be an action film or they have to be a comedy or they have to be a romance, like all at the same time. And this film the first time I watched it, I didn't really realize it was a satire. I was young, I was dumb, and it had boobs and it had guns. And and the special effects were fucking amazing. Um, and yeah, it hit all the buttons. And the more I watched it, the more layers I kind of found. Um, the more interest I was, I, I had in the film. Um, this one's really stuck around with me a lot more than a lot of other big dumb action films that I've seen. Um, and you know, that's by design, right? It's not a big dumb action film. It's actually a very heavy satire of like Beatrice was saying. And you know, I mean, this isn't, this isn't, uh, groundbreaking stuff, but yeah, it's uh, a, a big satire of the military industrial complex. It's also a satire of like what it does, what it means to be, young and athletic and beautiful and to see all these people that have been spit out and chewed up by the military and by just armed combat and things of that nature. Um, and still it works as a big dumb action film. Um, so that's, it's, it's a very fine needle that he threaded. Um, and yeah, I, I just love this film from top to bottom. And, you know, if, if you give me one of these films that has this kind of, um, special effects, I think, you know, uh, I, I bought it in 4k. It's one of those things that just absolutely holds up. Um, and it's impressive by that because they it was a nightmare to design they they had to do a lot of these special effects after the fact um and they're not even actual special effects they're they're practical they're models they're things like that so yeah these these creatures are top notch and and they kill a lot of a (laughs) lot of humans and it's a lot of fun to watch them all right michael snydell yeah, I've I've been very vocal about um, loving Verhoeven for a while. Um, like I was elated when we got to talk about Showgirls recently with um, uh, with the you don't know me director. Um, oh, geez, guys, help me, Jeffrey. What what is his last name? <laughs> I was not prepared really? for this. <laughs> oh shoot. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> you, you, don't know you, you you gave the wrong person, Mike. <laughs> if I'm no, your last resort, I know resort, I. I, I love doing uh, live streams too. So oh, I was right. It's McHale. It's Jeffrey McHale. 
Oh, that's right. It's Jeffrey McHale. So I, I wanted to give him a, sh- a shout out first because, you know, that was great to really get into that film. And, you know, I I personally like the run of five American films and maybe six if you really like Hollow Man, too. I'm a little lower on it than the other ones. Um, like, I, I just think that these are incredible films that are almost playing the same game as other action movies, but just playing with different roles. Like, like Verhoeven is just such an antagonistic director. And, you know, it's in the sense that he'll, you know, he's speaking of being vocal, like he's been vocal about like, oh, I can just show bodies ripped apart. But if you show a boob, it's, you know, <laughs> the, the ratings board will, you know, uh, crucify you. But uh, I, I mentioned that because I think that this I think Bill's absolutely right, that this is a movie that you can turn your brain off. And, and the set pieces, the set pieces are pretty good. The CG looks pretty good. It has this wonderful like almost like plastic soul quality to it like like everything is artificial but also really genuinely felt uh you know you have the aforementioned casper uh, van deen and um i said carmen electra denise richards <laughs> carmen denise richards. <laughs> but like her name's carmen so that's why i also yeah, I confused. But, but also um, she looks like someone verhoven would cast yes yeah no, I mean, <laughs> carmen electra i mean <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it was I think it was Rosenbaum I, I was reading and, and he made uh, I think it was Rosenbaum. He made a great point, though, that like, you know, Casper Van Dien and, uh, you know, even Jake Busey. These are all like very familiar archetypes. But then you have kind of these classy character actors in the back, like people like Michael Ironside and Clancy Brown and <laughs> Kurtwood Smith. And like, you know, some of them are Verhoeven regulars, but like. It's it's just a it's such a, a good synthesis of his like obsession with high and low, and it's not just the propaganda, but I just love the way from moment to moment this is just playing with that action movie form beyond like the really obvious stuff like like for instance I, I love like the talk show for instance where they're like frankly it's offensive to think that a bug has a brain. <laughs> Like just these certain ideologies that are so directly put and just all of these bizarre non sequiturs like, oh, here's a planet that we hardly know and 12 million people are dead. <laughs> like, like you can just feel Verhoeven cackling throughout this whole movie and it, it just, it, it makes me really happy. And this movie is still somehow like more violent and more maximalist than I remembered. And I already remembered it just being so uh, hoorah, for lack of better words. So yeah, I, I really like the, this one. And I think there's a lot to talk about here. Yeah, this movie is a, uh, we could do like one of those podcasts where it's just like for a full year, we're only going to talk about Starship Troopers. <laughs> and, um, you know, it'd be like, minute let's just- by minute. I, I was going to, I mean, that's longer than a year. That's, uh, that is a lifetime commitment, but it would be like, you know, let's just talk about each character and where they fit into this world. And let's talk about the world. Like what's like each, each little, uh, propaganda clip. There's one where, um, 
It's like, a murderer was captured this morning and sentenced this evening. His execution will be tonight at 6 o'clock. All net, all channels. And it's all just, channels. Yeah, yeah. all yeah. channels. <laughs> the sense of spectacle is so, like, it's hilarious, but it's also super harrowing. Like, these people watch executions. Like, Rico's punishment is a public lashing. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. There's, um... There's a lot happening here. Uh, I saw this movie in theaters when it was first released. Uh, since this was released in, uh, I think, November of 20 or 1997. Yeah, I was 10 years old. Um, I was going to say, how did you see that? <laughs> so my father took me. So this, I'll, I'll, I'll dart through this really quickly. Um, around <clears throat> the time that I first started watching movies, one of my favorite movies was King Kong. And I became obsessed with the fact that, like, I know that King Kong's not real, but how on earth did they do that? So uh, movie special effects were like a first passion of mine. And I used to watch movie magic on uh, Discovery Channel. If anyone remembers that show, it was a great show. It was like a 30 minute show that just went into special effects in the movies. And it was cool. And Starship Troopers was coming out and it was such a revolutionary special effects, big budget sci-fi action film that like every single thing was about it. And so I watched the the whole um you know movie magic on it uh you know the trailers were everywhere it introduced me to the song two by blur because that was in one of the tv spots it was like i was amped for this movie and my dad had read the book and he was like yeah you know all right yeah you really want to see this you know you're you're 10 now i guess you know we'll go see it together <laughs> um my dad took me to a lot of uh of movies when we were when, when we were kids when i was a kid and um I don't think this movie was anything like either one of us was expecting. <laughs> um, if you go off the book, this movie is completely batshit insane. And if you're a a 10-year-old child who just wants to see, like, you know, some cool space shoot 'em up action stuff, you get deeply confused by a lot of the other stuff going on on the margins. Yes. But, but this movie, like, was such a pure distillation of stuff that I love in movies. Um that it became like a real, a real marker for me. So special effects, but also like militarism in film, you know, I, I'd always been interested in the military and, and warfare in general. And this movie with its, you know, to a 10 year old, very clear cut delineation of good guys versus bad guys <laughs> um, was really, was really big in that way. I also just love the overwhelming sense of like helplessness and heroism in the face of like overwhelming odds. So like, it's almost like this movie should be rated R, but not because of the violence or anything, but just because the, the mind of a child can't understand that everything he's watching while a good spectacle is not awesome. <laughs> but it was awesome to me. And it took me like, I don't know, four to five years before finally I was like, I think there's something else going on here. <laughs> there's something wrong here. <laughs> Yeah. Um, you know, like it, you, you kind of look at it when you're, you're young and you're like, I don't know, Johnny Rico, Carmen Abanez, Dizzy Flores. Why are these people white? You know, is this just dumb? Is it like whitewashing? I saw on Twitter actually yesterday, someone saying like, you know, here's a bunch of cases of whitewashing in movies. And many of them were very true. And one of them was Starship Troopers. And I was like, I don't think you understand that this is a fascist <laughs> society. <laughs> Um, it's, you know, there's, there is diversity in the movie, but I think that one of the things we're supposed to take from it is that, uh, the white people have colonized Buenos Aires because this is a yeah. fascist global society. Um, they would say they're post. <laughs> right. Yes. I think, and I, you know, they, they seem to be post 
gender too. It's just like everyone's just they're all working for the Federation. Yeah. Um it's a uh, vaguely utopia in that way except for the fact that it's brought about by a uh, harrowing terrifying means. So like if 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 we could like split this podcast down the middle where like one half of it we just talk about how freaking awesome it is as an action movie and a spectacle and then one half we talk about the harrowing socio-political statements because it's almost like you trip yourself up trying to talk about this movie because you have to qualify every like and then he like jumps on the back of the bug and he shoots a hole in it and he throws the grenade <laughs> in it and then he jumps off and it explodes behind him with a follow-up which is like so people can't vote unless they do federal service and you can't have babies unless you have babies. a license yeah yep. and um, they're so jolly about it too they're yeah, just like they're, yeah they're like, all this on is board. what i need to do like it's well, almost I, I like mean, you imagine at this time period like it's so ingrained in them that they're just going with it right like it's it's probably been like this for I don't know, a hundred years at this point or so, you know? Right. And so they're just like, fuck it. Like, <laughs> what am I like? I can't do anything about it. I'm not going to be able to change this. I also so don't get the sense that there's it. a lot of dissent uh, that they no, might be. No. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. yeah Beatrice, what were you going to say? Yeah, no, I was just thinking about how, um, you know, we start with them being kind of like in a high school movie there's like people making out in corners there's the prom there's like looking at the grades and there's just like this plastic like you know I don't know teen high school movie that like it's like they're not even capable of being of the awareness that it takes to understand this choice that's coming next and like Rico doesn't need to go he does that because I mean he ultimately goes because of you know his obsession with Denise Richards um and it's like they don't really get it either like it's not like they're like oh we have no other choice because of our rights it's just like well this is what we do like it's like they're going off to college but it's much more harrowing yeah, I mean the the uh, the when you, this is another thing. Like when you're a kid, you're like, oh yes, those are clearly high school students because everyone over the age of sixteen looks like an adult to you. <laughs> and just yeah. every time I watch this movie, it becomes a little more absurd because I'm 33 now and I still feel like I don't look as grown up as Casper Van Dien in this movie. <laughs> His and jaw is impossibly chiseled. The man is an Adonis. Um, if I like. <laughs> It's just it's just not fair is really what it comes down to. He's just so handsome. Um, but but then like, like a platonic Aryan like model <laughs> as well. Like, yeah, Indiana well, Jones I mean, should be I mean, punching it, him in the face. Yeah. I mean, if, if you can't catch and keep hold of Denise Richards attention at this point and you look like that, like you're doing something wrong. <laughs> well, I mean, you've got a what's his name? Xander Berkeley. Is that the guy who played? No. I'm, that's not the right guy. Is well, it? No, Xander. Xander is his actual name. Oh yeah. All right. So whoever the hell plays Xander, I think it's Patrick Muldoon. Yeah. Yeah. His name is Xander Barkalow. Well, right. Whatever. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean that guy compared to Casper Van Dien is like a two, and he's still more <laughs> handsome than me. I mean, in this in this universe of Starship Troopers, I probably would have been put to death by now. Um, 
And even like, you know, Denise Richards and Dina Mayer are like definitely in their 20s. But like, it's it's just funny that like it kind of has that. And this goes into like the reality of the movie being a propaganda film almost in and of itself. Like, here's these impossibly beautiful people going out to fight this war. Um, And just on the, the subject of people who are impossibly beautiful, I mean, like, we should just spend like 40 minutes talking about the design work done on the bugs. Like just <laughs> icon- iconic, great, incredible design work. Like I, I, they're just, they're just so good. Like, I don't know. These might be like the defining alien of my entire life. Like I find them to be a more interesting creation than even the Xenomorph from Geiger? the movie alien. Oh, wow. Okay. Just because they're so different and just I, so I terrifying. Agree with that, but I do think these are a very close second runner-up. Um, I love the fact that they have and just feel like they have a lot of weight to them. Mm-hmm. Like they feel like if at one point one of the dragonfly ones like lands on one of these guys and just like smears him right and you're like (laughs) yes that makes sense because it looks like these fucking things are heavy right and and i'm talking about just the main bugs and they have several different variations with you know plus or minus you know kind of aspects but yeah the main like arachnid creature is just like it just looks like deadly limbs all over it. So at one point, I think Casper Van Dien like just dismantles this bug. And I think as it's like falling over, it just like lands a pincer in his leg and he's just like, Oh yeah, it's his beak. It's the beak of the creature. And And it's just just like, like, geez, these things. Well, it, what's funny is, and I I won't go into the show too much, but they definitely, In in the animated show, they I'm pretty sure they wear like power armor. Like they're not just fighting these bugs just like in like. Oh, they don't have like sleeveless tunics. Yeah, no, (laughs) they uh, they definitely have some more heavy artillery and heavy machinery to fight these bugs because it's it's just like really like you're such an advanced society and you're just going to throw them out in in a fucking helmet and Kevlar and you're just like, what? Really? Like, come on, we can do that. I know. For all the training they have, they literally are just <laughs> dropped on this planet, and they have like no strategy. They just like yeah, <laughs> approach the bugs and start it's shooting, still... and like it's so ineffectual. <laughs> it still makes me so angry because as a child, I was um, I was a competitive target shooter, mm-hmm. and so you know, watching this movie where they're just like unloading forty bullets per oh, person yeah. into one of these things, and you just see chunks of it flying off. And it just is still alive. And I'm like, <laughs> are we ever going to aim? Are we ever going to stop an aim? Like, is there? Yeah. In well, fact, I mean, they even have Neil Patrick Harris say, yes, you can blow you off go. a limb and it's still 87% combat effective. So like aim for the brain stem or the nerve stem. And I'm just like, no one ever does that. That never <laughs> becomes the thing that they do. Uh, no. Michael Ironside takes a longer time aiming at the dude he's going to mercy kill than anyone ever does <laughs> aiming at a bug. <laughs> yeah, where are the snipers? That's that's what I want to know. Where where are the snipers in this scenario? Because they should be, you know, perched up high, 
uh, aiming aiming to reinforce, and they don't seem to be doing that at all. Like, I mean, there's the, if we really wanted to get into the military tactics oh no. or lack thereof, <laughs> I mean, there's no artillery. There appear to be no tanks. And I think that that's almost the point is that they, uh-huh, sure. this society is so affluent and has so much stuff going on that they literally don't have a reason to not just throw a bunch of pretty teenagers at the hordes uh-huh. of bugs because they can afford to lose them. And it might be better if they did, um, sure. which again well, goes into that military industrial fucked up, just awful worldview that this place has. I well, mean, I mean the, you have the, to get the a big, license. You have to get a license to have a kid. So I imagine yeah. <laughs> that uh, the population is uh, doing A-OK. People watch like 10,000 dead in 12 minutes and they're like, hey, maybe it's going to get easier to get a kid license now. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like the big the big tactical change that turns the tide of the war is just maybe we should bomb the place first. <laughs> <laughs> like that wasn't your first choice. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will say that I... I read the book okay. when I was a kid and I started rereading it, hoping that I could finish it by the time we did this podcast. But my life does not allow for that. Um, <laughs> but in the book, they are in power armor. They are in like a massive suit. And also uh, my friend Arthur was saying like, oh, so like, how's the book different from the movie? And I'm like, well, you know, the movie's like a sharp satire of fascism. And I'm almost certain that the book is just fascism. Mm-hmm. Uh, the book opens with them landing on a planet of uh, what they call skinnies, which are not really described, but aside from being tall and skinny, but like they're they're a group of of starship troopers. Uh, they're in their mobile battle armor, and their 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 whole thing is we've come to a treaty with the skinnies. We're not going to nuke them, but we still want them to know that we can fuck them up. So <laughs> land on this planet and destroy as much as you have. And if you come back onto the dropship with any ammunition, you're getting lashed. Oh wow. And that's and so, just reflected. There's no there's no subversion of that or anything or there's no like sardonic it, tone. It doesn't feel like it, man. It, um maybe like it will when I get further into the novel, but like and there's a lot of uh dialogue from the book that's put directly into the 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 movie. Uh-huh. Um the whole classroom scene um the the part where the guy is talking about why do we need to throw knives? Um, but in, in the knife scene, the guy is like, it turns into a polemic, not about like your your enemy can't push a button if he doesn't have a hand, but talking about how warfare is the like surgical, like, uh, what was it? Shit, I should have brought my book with me. It's something along the lines of like, warfare is the means of enforcing the will of the body politic. Like, wars aren't done stupidly. Like, politicians tell the generals what to do. Generals tell you what to do. Your job isn't to think. It's to, through violence, enforce the will of the political body. And I'm it, it's not a joke. Like, <laughs> the guy is getting completely wrapped up in this and buying every line of it. And then eventually becomes a Starship Trooper. So, yeah. I, uh, I don't know what Highline was doing. I don't know if he was just trying to show what it would be like or if he thought it was a good idea. I have trouble reading sci-fi. Uh, I should also point that out. It's a genre that I have a lot of trouble just parsing the tone of because it's often so ridiculous, which I know is something that's going to get me canceled on the internet. So thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
it does seem like the common sentiment I, I've seen towards Heinlein's Starship Troopers is that it's it's very fascist and and I, but as you're saying, I I think the question then is 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 whether it's endorsement or rhetorical question about this dystopia. But I, I've heard as many. I, I say this not having read it, but I'm just I was trying to look up a little bit what the sentiment is back then and now. And I get the sense that there's as many people uh, who find holes in the possibility that it's a satire as uh, the people who, uh, you know, think that it's ideologically coherent. <laughs> so, <laughs> again, I, I don't know what that says about Heinlein. <laughs> I guess like the point is, you know, Verhoeven adds his very heavy-handed Verhoeven satire, you know, to whatever the novel was intending. I I also have read that the novel is kind of more straightforward and not necessarily um, comparable in tone to the film. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's like you said the the movie has a kind of plasticky sheen to it and a kind of of knowing wink and a nudge through its like 80s macho aesthetic that i don't think you can do effectively in a novel and so it's really like it's really hard sometimes to in in a novel form especially like something written so long ago in a genre like sci-fi especially projecting into the future so you're like there's a lot of like cognitive dissonance in it Mm because it's like oh wow you have like a a TV that like lets you talk to people, but you don't have cell phones. Like for whatever reason, my brain just has trouble like moving backwards and then jumping forwards. And so it becomes a question of like, is it satire? And he's just writing because it's a first person narrative. So like this first person narrator wouldn't be sardonic and, you know, belittling of all this stuff because he's bought into it. So I don't know. Uh, you'd have to ask Heinlein, and I'm almost certain that he is passed. So can't do that. <laughs> this was his first thing that wasn't apparently a YA book, but I I don't know if this is a productive thread. <laughs> it seems like Brian, you're the only one who's read this. But yeah. I, I I do want to I do want to transition a little bit to what we're talking about in terms of uh, plastic. I want to go back to. Uh, we we already talked about the helmet, and you you do get that great scene where you know uh, we didn't mention that Casper Van Dien is being punished because he told someone to take off his helmet, as if you know his helmet would have protected him from machine gun bullets to the head. But <laughs> but uh, anyways, but I I do want to get into I think it's really interesting, you know, that there is you know the obvious iconography of like. You know, uh, Neil Patrick Harris is like SS suits of, of the mm. officers and things like that. But I do think that like the body armor and and that stuff is what really is what really like, uh, again, I, I think Bill used the word weight. Like there's a lot of CG creature movies we've seen where it just it either feels like there's too much time spent on practical effects. So you're distracted by that. Or they're, or more often, especially these days, you get really terrible CG creatures, and I think, I think it's a combination of of what you mentioned, Brian. Like it's not only that it's a distinctive design, but it's a sense that like, it's a sense that not only is it an army, so all of these can just like 
it's as much about them together as like as a part. Like I think, for instance, that you know siege they do on the on the base where they set the trap. I love the detail that they're just climbing up this huge uh, row of bodies. Yeah, just <laughs> like, stacks of bodies. Oh. But I, I think I, I think that stuff uh, again is what again complicates like like part of me is like oh you could lean further into you know the final scene where it's like uh oh it's afraid <laughs> it's afraid <laughs> in the just just such a oh, such a good moment and like you know the I, I guess probably the most explicit that they're obviously an invading force beyond the optics but um I don't know. I, I think that this film and the satire wouldn't work as well if it did try to make the bugs like less about animal impulses in a way. And and I think that's in part what actually gives them – they're not scary, but they they do have like an, an actual real – menace in a way that I think a lot of things fail at. So I'm just curious. It, 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 is, to go it, back. Is, it is interesting that you just mentioned like they're not scary because I think that is very distinct in that so many movie creatures nowadays or even back then they're they're trying to go for the scare factor. And I think the only time that you're actually scared in this film is when they initially fight off that first wave in that in that station. Um, and then they look over the ridge and they just see <laughs> the mass of them. And you're just like, oh, God, they're fucked. But that's <laughs> yeah. that's not even like an afraid. It's more of a holy shit, how is this going to go down kind of situation. Um, I think it's weird that people are saying that these things aren't scary. They're literally just knives and ice picks with a giant mouth. Like, they've got a lobster claw for a face. Like, what are we talking about? I don't know. Yeah. I think it it breaks the classic kind of movie trope, though, where they just show these creatures full on. Like, they don't I guess that they're not, yeah, they're they're very upfront with them. They don't parse them out like you know bruce the shark and jaws or the the alien uh beatrice what were you gonna say tremors even yeah Yeah, i i think this is so interesting because okay and this is kind of my roundabout way of getting to my point but um you know someone once described showgirls to me as as verhoven you know ridding sex and nudity of its eroticism which i don't really agree with um but you know that had me thinking about how you know, violence and and death is de- depicted in Starship Troopers, and just like the visceral—I don't even know—I don't even know what to say, how to describe it—the <laughs> deathly power of the bugs. It's <laughs> like it's almost cartoonish, and like on the one hand, you know, you're kind of desensitized to it, but then it's also deeply deeply horrifying i mean like it shows the wreckage of like when the bugs invaded this amish community and there's just like like the bodies aren't even they don't even look like bodies anymore they just look like shreds of flesh yeah and ultimately the bugs literally suck people's brains out like like just thinking about that like that's not a normal wartime death it's like (laughs) 
completely undignified. It's like completely (laughs) undignified death. It's reminds me of just like, you know, you see so many war movies, like, I don't even know, Band of Brothers, like Saving Private Ryan. And like death is presented as horrifying. Yes, but there's like a dignity to it. But there's nothing dignified about dying at the hands of these bugs. It's like embarrassing Hmm. and horrifying. (laughs) Right. No. Yeah. It's. I mean, even even when they. I mean, I think that a very effective scene is when they first land on uh, Clandathu, and it's dark, and they're running around, and like they just instantly become a bunch of scared children, getting ripped apart and snapped in half, and it's just yeah. There's there's no brave Spartans holding the the hot gates closed. It's this is just awful, and you're getting torn yeah. apart by these animals. Um, it's a. Uh, it's it's un it's unpleasant. Yeah, and I think an element of the film that really emphasizes, you know, on the one hand, the real brutality of it, but then just kind of how there's actually no heroism to it is the score. Because the score, and it's by um, this Greek-American composer, Basil Polidurus. He also did the score for, like, other epics like Conan and I think Robocop as well. But the score is just, like steadfast epic heroism and like it's consistently applied even in moments where it's like not heroic it's not dignified like people are dying and it's just like that disconnect is like really chilling in a way (sighs) yeah that's interesting no i that's amazing that it's the conan uh composer i didn't know that but yeah it's I, I, I want to be clear. I, I'm not trying to say that I'm desensitized. And I, I guess the scariness <laughs> no, is No, you just is love more, to have I, a bug as a pet. You think they're cute and cuddly. <laughs> no, that's not it. I mean, that last... Only uh, the no. many ones. Only the many Bugs ones. Bugs are terrible. Let's let's be honest. I would have probably been those kids with the cockroaches. I, if I'm fully <laughs> the honest... The only good bug is a dead bug. bug. I think that the Arcturian like sand beetles <laughs> that they cut open in in uh, the college cl- or the high school class are actually uglier well, than the arachnids. Yeah, the fucking sausage link organ. Oh god! All right, <laughs> no wonder she threw up in that. Which I, I, I I'm convinced Verhoeven has like vomit in nearly every movie. But um, <laughs> I, anyway, I, I guess I just wanted to. I mean, you are absolutely right because you are getting these weird contradictions and in, in things like the score and things like the lack of dignity. But I still think there is an an odd contradiction in in the fact that you guys are are, are right. Like there is no dignity, but there's also something so reactive about them. Like they're they're menacing because they are a huge group and they're they're there but like they don't have that like i don't know predator spirit to me is is maybe what i'm trying to get across i i just think that they could be framed in a different way and the way they are framed you know uh makes it so it's very disturbing and you go through I, i mean i think it's it's really notable that you guys pointed out like sometimes you know you you know, you see like three decapitations in this movie, <laughs> 15 seconds, <laughs> uh, period. And it's like, you know, the first time it's startling. And then the second time you're like, oh, OK. And then, you know, the third time the, you know, uh, the the winged bug comes back, you're expecting to see another decapitation. And I do think that rhythm 
is is so interesting like alternating back and forth between extremely disturbing and this almost like action romp i I guess that's what i'm trying to get across in the in the design and the the ways they kind of yeah Uh, yeah and uh go ahead (laughs) oh well no i've got a whole i'm gonna have to like invade against marvel films so you might want to get ahead of me (laughs) (laughs) i was just gonna say i was gonna agree with what you were saying and add that and that it would have the audacity also to shift gears into just flirtations like that Rico still is thinking about uh, Denise Richards character. And like, you know, at the end, there's the reunion of the three friends and it's like, yeah, everything's good. Friendship. And that it even has that light tone and it's able to sustain that in spite of everything is also (laughs) another interesting element. I do love I, even the first time I watched it, uh, Denise Richards' line of like, let's make a promise. Let's always be friends. <laughs> I was like, this doesn't feel like a thing, right? Like, this isn't, no one says this. <laughs> um, and then I love that they meet up and like, Neil Patrick Harris is just a full-on Nazi. And everyone else has just been through hell. And he's like, I'm sorry. Like, I've got the future of the species to think about. And they're like, yeah. You're an asshole, Carl. He's literally psychic. <laughs> but then he but then he says, like, you know, we're going down, we're gonna get that brain bug, and they're all like, okay, that sounds great. Like they just have like the the emotional reality of these characters is not present. Um, I guess is what I'll say. I do wanna say, uh, we we um I remember when I was watching uh Avengers, the first Avengers, and then like uh, what was the one? The the crappy one? The the second to last crappy one? Um the not, second to last? Not Endgame. Age of Ultron? No, Infinity? I mean, they're all terrible, but no, it's the Ultron. Infinity Ultron. War. When the when things are, like, fighting, like, the six-armed dog creatures. I, this, Brian, that's every single one. Okay, and this is kind of my point. If I were to say to you, what's that movie with the scary spider-looking aliens? You'd be like, oh, right, Starship Troopers. But I can say the six-armed dog creatures in a Marvel movie, and you're still like, I don't know. Like, like in in a in in a Avengers uh, Infinity War when they're in Wakanda and they're fighting the dog creatures, it's oh. just it's just annoying and like depressing. <laughs> And it's, it's like repetitive and you're just like, I don't give a shit. Like, what are these things? Like, I know where this is going. I don't care. They don't feel real. And I think that this movie like has like a scene where there's literally thousands of these arachnid creatures, which are so much more alien than the six armed dog things. And they just feel more real because every once in a while you will get what appears to be an animatronic practical creature. And like you will, they'll walk by the bodies and you can see the holes blown in them by the bullets. And like, um, that one guy in the roughnecks, I think his name is sugar, like just unloads a clip into one of their eyes and is covered in slime. Yeah. And it's just like, (laughs) yeah, these things have biology and they're gross as shit. And like Mm -hmm. Casper Van Dien stands on the back of a bug and jackhammers a hole into it and is covered in this orange goo. And there's just a tactile reality there that you can then apply to the CGI horde that I think really helps. And I think that like a lot of modern films that do these like, oh, the hero's fighting against overwhelming odds 
could be helped by maybe doing that. You know, maybe just have like one or two practical ones that you actually get a close up of. And um, well, yeah. and that'll help because that, like it's it's shocking to me that, that, that like that, this movie and and uh, Jurassic Park just are like such perfect. You know, like the CGI isn't as good on a like platonic technical level, but like the reality is just so much more real than most everything else that gets put into theaters. Yeah, and and that's that's the emphasis on the practical versus the the CGI, right? Um, when when it counts, they have hero creatures that they kind of focus in on, and they do the kind of you know close ups with. And when they don't need to do that, when they need to just do the shock and awe and kind of pull back, they can they can use the CGI to kind of populate that. Um, but they're usually using you know. 3d renderings of these actual practical effects right like Mm. the thing that that pierces casper van Dien's leg is a practical effect right like um you know a portion of it and so yeah and and what's surprising is that we spend so much money trying to do this and we're so beholden to it because we have to lock in those ideas and those things whereas you know, we can play with the setup and the set piece a little bit more when we're dealing with a practical effect um, versus, you know, we have to be locked in. And you kind of hear this grumblings of like the Marvel movies and, and other things where they have to lock in like a lot of the fight sequences months ahead of even they start shooting. Well, and it's just like it, it's it, weird because the time. It's... It's the same thing, though, like with the practical effects, you have to design each one for like the camera and the lighting. And I think CG lets you be a little more. Ooh, what's the non-offensive way to put this a little more (laughs) indiscriminate about what you do? Like you can change things when they don't exist a lot easier than you can when they're practical. And like you're saying, like, this is the, the head that we do for like the close up and this is the head for the long shot. And this is the one that we get from the left and the right. Like you have to have those things locked down because you're doing it in camera. And once you have it on film or digital, whatever, um, you know, they're stuck. They're there. Um, so like, you know, Casper Dan Dean getting his leg done perforated. Um, they had to know that that's (laughs) what they were going to do and they couldn't change it once they'd done it because it would have been a lot of money to be like, actually, we'd like to perforate the other leg. Mm-hmm. Or your chest. Uh, so we got to rework all of this stuff. But I think I, I think I, it's really important, too, that it doesn't really, you know, as much as we're talking about spectacle in this movie, it's not doing the Avengers thing where, you know, you're doing these extreme wide shots, like just panning over these huge armies. I mean, even that sequence where, or excuse me, even the scene we're talking about where they see bugs coming over the ridge, mm-hmm. you know it's kind of sparing with close-ups. Like it, it really does keep very close to the, the troopers. So when a bug gets in their way or, you know, corners another trooper, like we're getting that, or even, you know, a, a news person <laughs> who's in a bad place. <laughs> but like, it's, I, I think that is what also is, you know, makes this feel a lot more tactile as much as design is that like this doesn't it, it just like lets spectacle be present without constantly reminding you of it. Does that make sense to you guys? 
I, I I think so. I mean, I think I think that one of the problems that a lot of modern films fall into is like we, it's big. We need it to be big. It needs to look big, without realizing that it's very easy to get depersonalized in that way. Um, there's a reason that Roland Emmerich will make people cheer when the island of Manhattan gets obliterated by a blast from an alien spaceship, but then he'll cut in to like watch a dog run to safety because that's kind of how that works. And so in these movies where they're like, okay, we're going to show the heroes in like a giant tableau fighting. You don't get the chance to feel that level of intimacy with them. And like, yeah, this movie, you know, they don't really cut to a giant, huge shot until that, that fight at the, uh, the outpost, and that's yeah. just that's it is it is literally like all right this is uh what's around them and now let's cut back so even when they get a victory and they finally take down one bug you're like okay one out of seventeen thousand still not seeing how they're gonna get out of this <laughs> yeah and it's it's just so different you know with something like the Avengers you know the way that the heroes are framed is is it's not presented in such a way that would emphasize their vulnerability whereas Mm -hmm. you know in starship troopers their initial landing everything's dark they don't even like they turn the corner and then they start seeing the bugs and they realize kind of how defenseless they are and it's 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 really scary actually i mean having the more intimate approach to to battle yeah absolutely and i think uh, and this is something that you know disney's never going to make a 300 million dollar movie where people get impaled and decapitated but I think, <laughs> calm down, Michael. I think that showing, showing the the horror, like you, like you'd said, Beatrice, like the strips of meat just like strewn about the aftermath. It it does because you're you're not worried like, oh, you know, Johnny's gonna get shot and die beautiful on the field of battle. You're worried like, ew, like what's gonna ha- like is Dizzy gonna get like evaporated and like melted or like have her legs ripped <laughs> off like is she gonna die screaming and brutal you know and you don't you don't really get that in a in in most modern films like i talk about the fact that like people get punched through an airplane and then they just stand up and walk it off and like have a little quip <laughs> and there's just like yeah. so how am i supposed to feel anything about this if i'm not worried about anyone like john wick at the end of every fight scene keanu reeves is a wreck you know <laughs> And that's why you love those movies so much, because you start to empathize with John, because you're like, man, this is really, uh, John just needs a vacation. He needs a nap. (laughs) You know? I feel bad for John. Like, he's awesome. But maybe he should be able to get, like, an iced coffee at some point. (laughs) But meanwhile, you know, like, Hobbs and Shaw is just these two guys with riders in their contract saying they can't get punched in the face. (laughs) And so... Like oh there has to be a grenade that goes off and throws them into a wall because that's a manly way to get hurt instead of all the normal <laughs> ways that people get hurt. And it just makes them seem alien, more alien than a bug. <laughs> yeah. And you're always like on edge the whole time while you watch them fighting the bugs because like it's like they're getting closer to like try to shoot them. You're like, why, why do you have to get closer to them to shoot them? <laughs> because the closer you get, they're going to get slashed up. Um, but, you know, something I was thinking about was... Uh, at some point, uh, oh God, I forget the the leader's name. Rachek, Ra- uh, Radchek, um, yeah, Radchek, yeah. Like when he dies, Rico kind of he takes his saying that's like, Rico's yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. What was it? 
When, yeah, so Rico, yeah, like speech. when it, when they become Rico's roughnecks instead of Ratchet's yeah, roughnecks, and, and, he yeah, says, uh, yeah, yeah, "Come yeah. on, you apes, you want to live forever." <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, that's a good one too. But I, I was thinking about how. Um, oh, everybody fights, nobody quits. Can... No, no. See, there's so many like good one-liners that are kind of <laughs> grander political statements. But um, I was thinking about uh, it's something along the lines of like. Uh, I'll be in charge until I get killed or somebody's better than me. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, you're Which, it until you die or I find someone better. Right, exactly. Yeah. And it's just kind of emphasizes the expendability of of them, but then also <laughs> of Rico's heroism because, like, you know, everyone's dying really brutally and Rico seems to be the only one that can, like, pull off, like, a heroic kill. But it's clearly only going to last for so long. I mean, like, Ratchik himself... Like he's big boss, able to do all this cool stuff, but then like ultimately gets cut in half. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then mercy killed. Yeah. What's yeah. the what's the line? It's uh I think it's um a quote from uh I think it's Muhammad Ali where he says everyone's got a plan till they get punched in the face. No, that's Mike Tyson. Oh, okay. Well, that's less <laughs> of a good person to quote, but I'm sticking with it. Uh <laughs> but that, I mean that's a that's a classic punch in the face kind of guy, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean <laughs> And that's the thing is like Ratchek's like got his swag and bravado, but like you know, when you're when you got your legs gnawed or burned or cut off, I don't even want to think about what was happening what, down there. Yeah, we don't see much. <laughs> you know, all that goes away, and it's time to just get shot in the chest. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it leaves enough to the imagination when he kills that trooper that gets uh taken away by one of the dragonfly creatures and mm-hmm. you're just like oh oh no what was gonna happen to him like geez um yeah because the yeah. bugs aren't like they don't they're not going for the quick kill you know they're they're no, they're just there, there's they're one f- point with with the uh with the media kind of uh watching on where one of those guys gets like flung into like the horde and they just they just like piece him apart like, well they're not they're, built they're... for precision you know like no. <laughs> <they're>... <laughs> have you ever seen those um those those uh metal spikes on a wheel that are used for like aerating gardens yes yes yeah. um it's uh it's like that you know you don't that's not well, a scalpel I mean... that's you like, just swing I mean, that look, at if, someone. If, if you've ever had like a shoe or a boot and you try and step on like an ant and then sometimes like it it finds the little crevices and it, you're like, oh, I stepped on you. How, how are you still alive? And so, yeah, that's a that's a very graphic way of describing that. But yeah, I just thought of her hoping like murdering ants. See, I when that happens. <laughs> Oh boy, this is, this yeah. is a cannibal uh, holocaust uh, situation. So yeah, in the movie, I was like, "Oh, they're really crushing those Madagascar hissing cockroaches." Does this not have an ASPCA <laughs> thing at the end? <laughs> um, yeah. but yeah, there's uh, there. Oh, there was something else I wanted to say that was gonna bleed into more of what's gone wrong with Hollywood and the action spectacle nowadays, and I just can't remember what it was. Mm. Well, can I can I transition to something else real quick? That absolutely, uh, Michael. Um, so I, I, we already talked a little bit, uh, about the fact that, you know, all of the people in the troops are, you know, you have the farmer, you have uh, a, a person who just wants to have the baby, uh, someone who wants the, the Federation of play, pay for college. And so, so you get that, which is, which is a really like 
very clean illustration, honestly, of of all of the stakes there. But then I love how cushy uh, Denise Richards' job is. And and particularly, I love that once everything goes wrong and the bugs are, you know, uh, shooting up that artillery or something, they at first think that someone made a mistake. (laughs) It was like incompetency that is causing these other ships to uh, you know, crash into each other and, and everything. I, I I find that really, and I guess that goes back to that exception. Oh no, she was saying it's a mistake because she said that the bug plasma was supposed to be random and light. So she's saying that like the intelligence about the resistance was a mistake. Oh, I see. I took it as another reinforcement of the exceptionalism. The idea that if you can't handle it or excuse me, if like, if you get hurt or die, it's a mistake on your part. Right. Cause not. like when they're doing, when they're in the drop chip, that guy's like, remember your training and you will make it back alive. And it's like, uh, <laughs> I don't think so. My knife throwing isn't coming in handy with these things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, that, and, that was more like a, yeah. a scene of like, uh, the Federation may not be as like smart as they try to yeah. appear to be. I mean, just the simple fact that the size of those ships versus those plasma, you're just like, you're, you know, it goes back to like what Beatrice was saying. Like, you have to get really close to these creatures for some reason. Like, why, why don't you take a couple of steps back? Like, you know, they're, they're right the fuck up on that planet. And it's just like, like, I'm pretty sure that plasma dissipates at a certain kind of like distance. So maybe don't be so close. Wait, why are you within 14 meters ship? of each other when you're just hovering over a planet? Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't I don't understand the logistics. Social there. distancing, they, guys. Yeah, yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, the, it, it, speaking of that, <laughs> Michael, now every time I watch a movie, I'm just like, you guys are way too close. <laughs> <laughs> I've had that problem as well. I'm just like, man, remember when you could like high five someone? <laughs> Uh, okay um i do want to i i need to i need to do this because i do this every time this comes up in a movie when dizzy gets stabbed right and then they um they kill the bug and like it's it's little stabby thing what do you what do i call that it's arm (laughs) pincer but it's not a i mean maybe i don't know it's when it's stock is in her (laughs) never pull out an object that has pierced you Always leave it in. You oh, will yeah. bleed out, you idiots. <laughs> this comes every a t- pretty big thing inside of her. Like it, it wasn't an arrow. This is, it like took up most of her midsection. Right. All yeah, the more like, reason also, not to pull have, it out. Yeah. Don't they have this like incredible healing machine? Because isn't Rico also kind of brutally injured? But then they put him in that little tub, and then he's just like put back to normal. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't I, um, understand. I assume yeah, they that definitely have how it's uh, killed in action. They have a Bacta <laughs> tank, basically, like from Star Wars that Luke gets dropped in at one point to yeah. like heal himself. But yeah, um, it it's it's like a Bacta tank, but like you can actually see it actually like it's like three D like, printing him a new interior yeah. <laughs> of his leg. I mean, I feel like that works as long as you haven't already bled out from the seventeen other steps. Because <laughs> Dizzy gets real yeah. messed up. 
it's yeah it's no bad. she's she's not making it man no, i really feel awful for her because one i liked her but then it's like as soon as she finally gets with rico it's like the next scene she's destroyed and yeah. then it makes it seem like like at the end i think she says something along the lines of oh but like i fi- i had you rico at least yeah and it's just like so yeah so you're saying this is all worth it really i mean she joined up to be near him yeah i don't understand why rico's such an asshole to dizzy because can we all just agree that dizzy's like a hundred times better than carmen yes i agree yes Yes. Good. Like, like they have a lot of common interests. They have a lot of like things going for each other. Um, yeah, I it's it's dumb. But I also love the fact that Dizzy, I can see why like they make it very plain that if Casper Van Dien's character is interested in someone else, that Dizzy would be kind of annoying because you can see her side eyeing from Every angle <laughs> in this movie, every time she sees her and uh, or him and uh, and Carmen, Carmen. yeah, Carmen yeah. Uh, together, like you just see her in the background, just like looking, like glaring at them, and you're just like, oh my god, like. <laughs> doesn't she also? I can't remember for some reason. Doesn't she actively like make fun of Carmen to her face at some point when they're still I, well, in high school? I mean, <laughs> I mean, they definitely. Yeah. She she definitely makes fun of her for uh like not having a lot of like strong strong iron. Uh, oh right, stomach. yeah. She says nerves of steel when she's going mm-hmm. to throw up because she can't handle the bug guts. Yes, mm-hmm. and and she's she's taunting her because she's like, you have to have nerves of steel to fly one of those things, yeah. and it's like, I I don't know. I think you more have to have nerves of steel to be a fucking roughneck. Like that seems scarier than flying a plane. I don't know. Um, in this scenario, at least. Yeah, I feel the like I defend is, Carmen. Is, no, what? Michael, don't defend Carmen. No, 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 no. I, I, I want to. I'm going to say that Carmen is is a lot more interesting than what she could be in this this film. Like, I, like the very fact that this is kind of a reversal of what you expect in the sense that you think Rico, you know, would be someone who who uh, wants to devote himself to this military career. But the fact that she's the one who says a Dear John, sends a Dear John letter to uh, Rico, the the fact that she's not willing to give up her career, the fact that she is totally in control in in every scene. I'm not going to say that she's perfectly matched for Rico or anything, but I do think that, like, as far as that type of character goes, she's... Uh, far more well written than than the average version of this like damsel of distress because she is not. But that. she's not a damsel and of I distress. And I want to note that. No, that's what I'm saying. She's oh, okay. not. You said better written than a normal that. damsel in distress, and I was like, oh, well, I mean, that, that makes it sound like she is one. Which she, I mean, she's in distress at some point, but she cuts that bug straw off of the the brain bug. Yeah. So no, I. Yeah, as much as like there's some. Hold contrived. on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. You you tried to find the right word for a pincer, for a talon, for all of these things, and you're going to call that thing a fucking bug straw? I know it's a proboscis. I know it's a proboscis. Oh, I am no. sorry. <laughs> but I couldn't well, think of it. slurp for a bit. <laughs> it's a straw. It's, it's, it's a straw. Leave me alone, Bill. I am exhausted. <laughs> I don't know. I don't okay. remember my point. I'm just saying, I think Carmen is more interesting than she 
she could be. Well, Carmen is is a true believer, you know, and it's almost like, yeah, like Rico is the, the, uh, I apologize in advance, the dumb blonde ditz who follows. Yeah. He's a himbo. That'll work. He's the ditz who follows the hot person into the military and while she yeah. has been training her whole life for this and is super smart and gets to drive a, what did she say? Like a half million tons of spaceship or whatever. They're like, you're stupid as shit. Go pick up a rifle and get bugged. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, Carmen is, is, is the better character. And she, um, she, she excels quickly because of her actual skill. Whereas Rico just keeps outliving everyone in the chain of command above him. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was reading that they, they did even... a preview screening with which had a few differences, but one was uh, th- at the preview screening they hated that. Um, oh, that uh, that uh, Carmen and um, sorry, Carmen and uh, and uh, Rico kissed in another screen <laughs> and they cut that out because people thought it was so cruel that they they kissed after dizzy died <laughs> oh oh so like they kissed uh, at the end or something and it's like uh yes yeah, yeah no that, I, mean, I would have been mad about that because again i think yeah. dizzy is the the superior romantic partner yeah dizzy I, I think i think i think that whole like that love triangle is so interesting to just simply because of of where it actually ends up and just the tragedy of like Dizzy's character who like I don't know like do y'all think that she was actually transferred to that squad or do y'all think she transferred because she was kind of following Rico I mean she says that she requested transfer to Fort she, yeah. they were. she requested she, she transfer said, and also she signed up because of Rico because initially during the prom she has a scholarship to play that whatever sport that they were doing mm, in the beginning XFL oh, yeah. ball. before XFL <laughs> <laughs> what? it just looks like murder ball oh yeah that yeah she like mentions that she's like going to some other country to like play the sport mm-hmm. as her next move and then suddenly she shows up <laughs> that training <laughs> what's, what's funny though is like she she actually appears more combat ready than just about anyone else in that squad like the way For that sure. she fights uh it's it's not Ratchek. uh i can't remember uh michael ironside or no yeah. it's not michael ironside uh who is that guy uh Zim? i can't remember uh sure clancy brown uh, plays uh clancy sergeant brown. Zim. clancy brown yeah uh the way she fights him is like actually like she gets a couple of licks in on him and like I think the old you know I mean she gets choked out but like <laughs> the other guy gets his fucking arm broken so <laughs> I think uh she's she's uh you know proving her metal there um and like even during the obstacle course like she kicks both Rico and uh and the other guy Ace. and Ace into, Come on, Bill. It's like you haven't seen this movie forty times. <laughs> uh, Ace into the mud, and like I don't know, like she really seems like she should be excelling, and I don't know why she doesn't end up being like the squad leader because, like, even sure. she tells Rico, like, "Hey, let's run this play," and he's like frantic. The flip at that six point. three hole. Yeah. <laughs> 
I love you, Brian. Um, yeah. Uh, so like he's frantic at that point, like clearly outnumbered. And she's like, no, like let's, let's run this stupid football play that, uh, will, will work just perfectly. And you do some fucking gymnastics and yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's so interesting to me that she doesn't advance and maybe that's, that's an obvious you know, thing that they're trying to kind of put forward is, you know, Rico's the male and he's the pretty one. And, you know, of course he's going to get all the credit. That's possible. She's Although I would say lurch. that as far as the society is concerned, Sky Marshal Deans is replaced by a new female Sky Marshal. So like, I don't know. I think, I think that in, in the world of the movie, there's supposed to be assumed post-gender. some level of post-gender gender parity. Mm-hmm. Because again, no one is any one individual. They are all instruments serving the state. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's yeah, also sure. just, yeah, I mean, maybe Rico's just handsome enough. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> and he he seems to even realize like, oh, Dizzy, you're the reason I was able to do that. Like, do you want to be, you know, mm-hmm. a fire team leader? Um, We are getting close to our out point. Um, I was curious if anyone had any other thoughts that they wanted to share. Um, while you think about that, I will just say that I was paying close attention to some of the names uh, that were used uh, for places and things. So like when Xander, <laughs> well, no, not, not Buenos Aires. That's an actual place. But like when Xander says that he's going to Tereshkova um, for flight school, um, I looked up Tereshkova and it's a uh, Valentina Tereshkova uh, was a member of the Russian State Duma, an engineer and former cosmonaut. She is the first and youngest woman to have flown in space with a solo mission on the Vostok 6 in June of 1963. Hmm. So yeah, they, they do a lot of that shit throughout a lot of these movies where they, you know, little throw off names. They're just like, ah, let me uh, let me put something in there. Yeah. And then Roger Young was a United States Army infantryman from Ohio in World War II. Um, he suffered a sports injury in high school that led him to nearly becoming deaf and blind. But he uh, he fought in World War II and won Medal of Honor and Purple Heart. So, I mean, like, what's interesting to me in looking at things like that is that, first of all, it's just kind of cool that there's that level of detail. Um, I feel like we don't get that much in movies now. But also, what that means is that whatever this federation is is fully embracing the past of at least two at-war superpowers and drawing them together. Which, again, in their, in its kind of like post-racial, post-gender, post-national, because now it's just like the Terran Federation, it's interesting to see that and to see the way that like all of these different societies are kind of drawn in together, just uh-huh. as like a kind of like human enterprise and celebration yeah and how some are abandoned also i think in the beginning they refer to hiroshima and like the implication is just like those those people don't exist anymore yeah well also (laughs) and and there's there's still mormons and they uh founded a place called fort joe smith and they were slaughtered by bugs (laughs) oh no oh boy yes um can we talk about the brain bug? Yes. Just because I think it's, well, you know, on the one hand, you know, when we first are introduced to it, I forget, I think it's, um, what's his face? Like Carmen's boyfriend character. 
Xander. Um, Xander. Xander. Yeah. He, I think he calls him like, oh, like you're a smart bug, ain't you? And like they ca- keep referring to it as like the smart bug. And <laughs> I just like, to me, I like started thinking just about like, um, just racially tinged insults, just like the idea of like the exceptional minority being like the the smart one despite the fact that the rest of them are idiots just like that kind of of mindset in old movies yeah yeah or like Hmm. i don't know i just to me that there was this like weird racial connotation to it like oh you're you're the smart bug aren't you and the rest of you are you know just idiot brainless well, I mean, it's interesting that even the smart bug isn't actually able to move itself, right? Like it has to <laughs> utilize uh, the little uh, pill bug looking things or whatever yeah. that they're dissecting at the beginning of the film um, to kind of be mobile. Um, and like it's got one basic weapon and that's about it. And once once that weapon is disabled, it's kind of got no other tricks up its sleeve. Um it's definitely gluttoned itself, it seems, on I guess brains. I don't know well, what it, you know, uh, it I, subsists. I always of. thought that it was like almost like a queen, you know? So like maybe it's filled with uh, you know warrior arachnid eggs. Maybe. I don't maybe. know. Um it's 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 difficult to know. It's I'm sure that that's something that's gone into by the five other <laughs> sequels of this movie. What was the gross simplification, Michael? I, it, it, I had also thought of it as a like queen bug, but I don't like thinking about this. And I also just almost Googled pill bug and stopped myself because I'm like, I don't oh, want to know no. what that is. Wait, oh, a pill bug? Well, it's well, it's well, wood lice. It's, it's the cute po- little roly polies. Yeah. Yeah. They're little gray guys and you put them in your hand you and they you curl don't up like into You like roly polies? What's wrong with roly polies? No. Oh. Uh, they're okay. Oh, <laughs> God damn it, Michael. Roly polies are cute as the dickens. <laughs> um What was I going to say? Yeah, no, the brain bug is is interesting. I I love I love that, you know, for whatever it's just another one of these things where it's like how stupid or just willfully ignorant is the federation? Because like the one guy says like i find the idea of a bug that thinks offensive but it's like they're clearly some sort of hive creature and every insect has like a queen that runs it like the ants bees termites like they all have a central figure around which they they colonize and live so why is that why are these idiots so shocked that there might be some sort of bug calling the shots haven't they seen the movie aliens uh, that's a good question. I don't know. Maybe it's been censored. <laughs> they do censor a lot, including that final scene where they are, you know, testing the bug, but really oh, just yeah. rotting it with oh, and the cow. <laughs> oh, and the cow. Yeah, they censor the cow, and then they censor shoving a wine opener <laughs> into the brain bug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, the brain bug is is an interesting conceit. It's a, it's a, it's a, and what's funny also is that like one of the things that has always like weirded me out about the movie is that like we realize at the end that we're not even following like the guy who wins, like Sergeant Zim is the one who captures it. 
Yes. <laughs> like apparently by just like hanging out above some stalactites and tossing a net on it. Like I don't even know what he does. <laughs> it's just well, so they, weird just that like it. he's he's like um there's their drill instructor and he wants to go fight and um what's his face Hank from Breaking Bad. Uh-huh. says like the only way you're gonna go out there is if you bust yourself down to private and apparently he did it and then he caught the brain yep. and you're just he's, like wow i wish hero. i got a sergeant zim movie no that, beatrice I, I know we kind of got a little off track but i definitely want to just circle back around as just kind of my final thing on that is i definitely see that as as definitely kind of a racial thing um even so much as the fact that like they don't even speak any kind of uh language that you know it appears that they they communicate with and so i think that's a natural thing that you know if they don't speak the language that you do it's so easy to see them as foreign or other and so that they have a little bit less humanity, right? And when the brain bug like communicates the fact that it's afraid, that's the first time that you get any kind of sense of, of I guess, sentiment out of them, um, any kind of feelings out of them. Uh, they don't seem to feel afraid or happy or scared until that moment. Right. Um, and, you know, I mean, just the fact that like they're an invasion on a different planet and are just determined to basically wipe them out. And I don't know what the uh, the Mormons plan there was, but I, I'd love to see that. <laughs> Clearly, that they were film. going to start a farm. I mean, <laughs> I. Or, I mean, convert? I don't know. I don't know. I would love a movie about Mormons trying to convert the arachnids. Um, <laughs> that would I mean, just that's be what they do, right? Well. That's, that's, that's the goal. So. Yeah, you know, just go from bug hole to bug hole. Just be like, do you have a moment to talk about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? And one of the arachnids is just like, just like is that a yes? I, um, I think that what's interesting is that, you know, Verhoeven went a lot out of his way to make this more satirical and kind of show that like this fascist ideology others the other side but what's weird is that he is othering literal bugs um which are very easy to not like um and and there are things that humanize or at least give a sense of interiority to these bugs the fact that the brain bug is afraid the fact that the the warrior arachnids kind of like defer to it. There's a scene that um, where like three warrior bugs like come out of a bug hole, and they don't like charge at the humans. They seem to just be trying to keep them away. And then when the the the, the nuclear launcher thing goes down, it they almost seem like they're about ready to like go run back inside. Um. And I've heard people online say like, oh, like when you see that, it's because like they would need to go like they're trying to warn the other bugs or like the babies are down there. And I'm like, (laughs) I don't know that I'd go that far, but it definitely seems as though they're concerned about what's happening. Like, so they're not mindless. (laughs) Yeah. I think that it's weird that for all of his desires to do that, he does make them such a detestable species because it's almost like it's harder for him to make his point. But also it, it makes the satire slightly more effective because you do have to do that little bit of extra work to really see the bugs as not just terrifying space monsters. And I think that's why the book 
is a little more dark and like a little more gray area because like I said, it opens up with this assault on a skinny city and he, he's talking about like, Oh, that looks like a church. So clearly I have to nuke that. Um, you know, I'm looking for the biggest buildings with like the most people, like I'm not supposed to kill people directly, but like collateral mayhem is sort of the point. And because these are the skinnies are people who use weapons and have clearly like created buildings and have like a water treatment plant. He says at some point that exploding a water treatment plant is better than nuking a city because it makes the city more uninhabitable and harder to leave at the same time because it's not just fully destroyed and it creates a refugee crisis. Like it's, you know, it's, it's dark. Like I said, it's a, it's a, it's messed up. And um, it's just weird to me that Verhoeven would not put that in while still trying to make the same point, but using the bugs. And it, it does feel like, you know, from from the perspective of like, you know, previous xenophobic and or, you know, racist sentiments, you know, a, a talking head show where a guy says like a bug that thinks is something that I find offensive would probably not be out of line from something that people would say in the 1800s <laughs> about uh, all kinds of people who are legitimate humans. Um, but again, the, the bug layer makes it a little more abstracted. So there's there's a feeling of that. I just, I wish we either saw like more, I, I think to um, Defive Bloods, when uh, the bloods are in the forest and the Vietnamese soldiers are coming and in any normal movie, you just hear them talking Vietnamese and you'd be like, Oh, those are the bad guys. But into five bloods, they have the subtitles talking about poetry and heroes and returning Mm -hmm. home. And I feel like it's a little much if you had the bugs (laughs) being like, I can't wait to get back to my brood. I've started digging an addition onto my house, but like, (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. It's um. It, I, I feel like I get excellent sunlight. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I I get what you're saying. Um, to me though, it's I guess it's like the 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 reason the humans are invading the bugs in the first place. To me, it's like kind of ambiguous. Like, yes, the bugs are violent and like they pose a threat, but there's this whole explanation in the beginning that's explaining that there's like these asteroids that are hitting Earth and it says the bugs are sending them. And I think there's just like a level of ambiguity. And I think Verhoeven is trying to imply that we're kind of just pointlessly sending people over to like these various bug planets, not really pointedly defeating the enemy, just kind of like throwing them over there, these hostile territories where the bugs are, yes, they're violent and they're going to kill you and our enemies. But it's like we're kind of bugs too. I mean, ultimately, we're sucking the brain bugs' brain. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting because at one point, a uh, the media figure that's kind of running around throughout the film. Uh, well, the first towards half. Towards the end, yeah. Well, before uh, he's towards, cut in half. <laughs> towards the end, he actually asks, uh, you know, r- right as they're about to go to war. I think again, going back to war. Uh, you know, what do you think about the fact that some people say the bugs are just retaliating for us, you know, striking first? And, you know, Casper Van Dien's just like, well, I say 
a the only good bug is a dead bug. And oh right, like, no. Oh. So that's right when they're about. <laughs> that's right when they're about to go down to Clandathu after Buenos Aires has been obliterated by uh, an asteroid, mm-hmm. and the guy literally says like. You know, all these kids are so excited to go murder some bugs. And then, like, almost offhandedly, he's like, some people say that a live and let live policy is preferable to war with the bugs, that they're only responding to encroachment from humans into their territory. And then Casper <laughs> Van Dien literally just says, I'm from Buenos Aires and I say kill them all. And that is a line that was like a closer <laughs> in the trailer that gets you pumped up to watch this movie. And then you watch the movie and you're like, oh, that's like a giant propaganda thing. <laughs> It's a way to get around the fact that, like, maybe we sort of brought this on ourselves and also maybe this isn't a great idea. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, it's great. I also One last thing I want to say uh, about how this movie raises the stakes is that in every major battle, someone we love or know very well dies. Sure. Like, we talked about the people who want to be politicians and have babies and, and that guy who is named Kitten for some unfortunate reason. All of them are <laughs> murdered on Clendathu. On Planet P, we lose Dizzy and we lose Ratchek. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, we lose Xander. I didn't like him, but uh, no one wants to get, you know, their brains sucked out. So I still felt bad for him. Through a straw? Yeah, bug straw. Mm. (laughs) People are into weird things, Brian. You never know. That's true. (laughs) Thanks for that, Michael. (laughs) Yeah, just go go visit the internet. But yeah, this uh, this movie is a rich text. Um, it's it's there's a reason that 23 years later I'm still like yeah I'll watch Starship Troopers again. Um, yeah, because I was, I was meaning to watch the special features, which is definitely one of those things that like this is why you buy a movie like this because you know I mean watching the special features of uh, I don't know uh, Avengers is kind of cool, but. You know, they shot so much of that shit on the on on like a Hollywood. This back is the lot parking and, lot in Atlanta where we shot ninety percent of the movie. Yeah, and yeah, this is definitely going to be much more interesting. I was meaning to get to it. I actually watched this film ahead of time. Um, not that I hadn't seen it before, but I I watched it ahead of time, and I was like, ooh, when I get back home, I'm definitely gonna watch like the special features. And I got back home, and I did not watch the special features. So. I had um I had meant to look <laughs> for the the movie magic episode about it just to further mm. relive my childhood, but I didn't. And I like I said, I read some of the book, but I was not able to plow my way through it because when you have a four year or a three year old who's turning four, and you have to build a playhouse in your backyard, that takes up a lot of time. <laughs> yeah I, I definitely heard uh like i was interested like you brian in reading the book and then i read some reviews and they were just like yeah no this is passable Heinlein. <laughs> it's not poorly written or anything you know but it's no. like it's and again i just it's it's one of those things i'd rather i'm it's just not my genre and i don't begrudge it is, anyone it is relatively book. short though I oh think it's, it's super short yeah that's yeah, why i thought i could get it done in a week pages or something like that yeah I, I want to uh, I'll say a quote from Ed Newmeyer who uh, did the script. Uh, so uh, script scriptwriter Ed Newmeyer was a big fan of the novel since his childhood. Paul Verhoeven, on the other hand, has never read the book and attempted to read it for the film, but it made him bored and depressed. Here's Verhoeven's <laughs> quote. I stopped after two chapters because it was so boring. It is really quite <laughs> a bad book. I asked Ed Neumeyer to tell me the story because I just couldn't read the thing. It's a very right-wing book. (laughs) Right. And again, like, so the first two chapters are like the the attack on the skinnies 
um, which has a lot of technical detail about like how the drop works and like what their machinery is like. And then I think maybe like the, the high school scene and um, yeah, it, it, it can feel pretty friggin' right wing because it's a lot of a uh, rah-rah military stuff. But again, I don't know if that's Heinlein just writing about the society that he has decided on or if he's like, this is great. This is a utopia. This is what we should all strive for. Mm-hmm. Hard to know. Um, very difficult. We'll never know. I feel like unless you have your primary character legitimately fighting against the society you've created, like in the Hunger Games or something, it's or very difficult. 1984. Diff- yeah, it's it's very difficult to know whether or not the the writer is like actively saying how bad things are. You know, because like this, this fascistic society like is thriving. It's it seems pretty nice until you start peeling the onions with your 20th century eyes, which is a terrible analogy. Um, (laughs) When you start looking at the different facets of this society through the eyes of someone in the 20th century living in a democracy, that is when you are able to see how bad this is. But yeah, to someone growing up, everyone's got food. There's fucking spaceships. It seems like it's pretty great. I, I, yeah, Brian, I, I got it. Just Yes, I know the you peeling know, your onions okay. with eyes it's, thing it's is okay. weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I apologize. Again, I am very tired. Um, any final thoughts on this movie before we wrap up? Um, good, good. good. <laughs> All right. Good movie. Not enough to contain here. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, like, please be aware that you can't introduce a brand new theme that we could talk about for an hour. <laughs> it needs to be a nutshell. But yeah, uh, if you'd like to talk with us more about uh, Starship Troopers, you can find us on Twitter at Film State Show, Facebook The Film State Show, or email us your thoughts, podcastfilmstage.com. Very glad that everyone is able to join us. Uh, don't forget to go to patreon.com slash the Film State Show to give us your money. And you can go to mubi.com, M-U-B-I.com slash Film Stage for a free 30-day trial of Mubi. So check that out. Next week, we're going to be talking about House of Games, the David Mamet classic. So look for that. Um, I am super excited to watch that again. Cannot wait. Ricky J is the man. It's available on Prime. Yes. Um, It is great. Everyone knows I love a con movie. I also love Joe Montana and Ricky J. And so this movie is 100% up my alley. So get ready for that. Um, we don't know when that'll be out. It's a holiday weekend. We're going to maybe try to record it early, but you know, we're not making any promises, but that is the next thing we're going to be talking about between now and then let's tell the fine people at home where we can be found online. We begin with our guest Beatrice. Where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Beliza. Excellent. Bill Graham. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at CableBFG. You can also find me on Instagram where I post puppy pictures all the time at Billstagram. And then you can also find me mixing it up on the Slack channel. We just created a books channel. How about that? We <laughs> can't we're wait to never go in there. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's pretty good so far, actually. <laughs> oh, that's good. I can't read as much as I used to, and it bums me out sometimes. Like, I really thought I could put Starship Troopers away in seven days, but um, I just have got too much going audio, on. Have you tried audiobooks? I, I listened to audiobooks once. I listened to... Um, once. Yeah, I, you know, I was like, I'm on Be the careful. train all the time. And we are, we are 
doing a podcast right now. So be careful <laughs> where you tread. No, it's so like a podcast. It's like radio. You know, it's like I'm talking and this is Brian talking. And then, you know, Beatrice says something and Beatrice is saying it. And then, you know, like it's a conversation. I I listened to um, what's the, the book that I love by Cormac McCarthy, Blood Meridian. And like mm-hmm. the guy was like really good, but it just I didn't like the way that like, you know, different characters, sometimes they get a voice and like you know, just like the, the cadence of his voice during certain passages, because I'd read the book before. So I thought it was a good control for how I would respond to audiobooks, And I just didn't like it. It just wasn't my thing. I prefer to hear it in my head in my own voice. So, mm. well, then you won't be reading very many books. I know. I know. Uh, Between the distillery and my actual job and my child, uh, not a lot of time for books. Anyway, uh, Michael Snydell, where can people find you online? Uh, You can find me on Twitter at at Snydell. On Letterboxd, I'll have a review of the Rod Lurie film, The Outpost on the Spool. Uh, as far as intermission goes, the by the time you hear this, shortly after that, the episode of original cast album Company with Kyle Turner should be out. And uh, the next Company, or oh, geez, the next intermission <laughs> episode will be Antonio Campos' uh, Christine with Cody Corral. You know what I'm going to ask you, right? Uh, no. Did oh, you talk that, about uh, co-op? A little bit. Ah, damn it, Michael. All right. Anyway, you can find me, uh, my personal site, BrianJeroen.com, Instagram, uh, at BrianJeroen. And uh, yeah, that's really where I'm at everywhere because I lack imagination and want to make myself easy to find. You can also find every episode of this year's podcast and writing for me at FilmStage.com. So that is it. Join us next week when we talk about House of Games. A fantastic movie that I cannot wait to talk about. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. Tune in next time. If a movie's about space, it's got to end with a Muse song.